Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So good to have you joining us. I hear from so many of you across the country. I appreciate your emails, your LinkedIn messages. Uh, It's all just very encouraging. So welcome to the broadcast. Good to have you here. Well, podcast, we use the old term broadcast because we do fashion and style us after a radio, regular traditional radio program, but it is truly a podcast and it's good to have you with us. It's Monday, December 2nd, excuse me, December 5th. How time flies. Uh, the, the 2016, for those of you who are listening on a downloaded basis, again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress and in Lending Innovation Award. We're very grateful for that. On today's hot topic, really excited to have Brent Emler with us, the guy that's one of our sponsors. But Brent is just so full of wisdom, and I'm really excited to share that wisdom and knowledge that he has about marketing. He turned me on to this website called I love marketing. And I got to tell you, it is just, there's, it's just so much, it's loaded with so many good marketing ideas. So very exciting to have, excited to have him on. We're going to be talking about CRMs and uh, we were talking just before the podcast and uh, why, why is it some don't use CRMs? Well, there's this word, called accountability the prophet doctor brought that up and it's so true but we're it is really such a powerful tool on how you can be so much more effective and also we're going to talk about just marketing in general i've got so many questions as a result of the uh some of the podcasts i've been listening to through i love marketing so anyway brent Emler will be in the hot topic segment be sure to stay tuned all the way through to that point we want to say a special thank you normally i wait till the end of the list of the sponsors but i'm going to reverse this up i want to say a special thank you to alice Andy, Joe, Paul, and Sam for their contributions to the program. Those guys, they do, they're all knowledgeable and they could talk off the top of their head on so many topics and they're so good at what they do, but they add so much. So you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. I'm very grateful for your participation and involvement in what this is. And you all know what a blessing it is out to the people. We're here to do this as a public service to you guys. Now also making this possible is our sponsors. ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative RateStar, is one of our sponsors. Motivity Solution, providing real-time reporting dashboards and scorecards, is another one of our sponsors. Velma, our most efficient, effective marketing, mortgage marketing email platform, has a CRM component. We're going to be talking about that. Simplified. This is the real-time electronic communications exchange. We're going to hear from Nancy. Well, Nancy, and I'm going to be talking about my relationship with um, them and encourage you to talk to Nancy Alley. We'll talk about that in a minute. Motive, excuse me, the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. Very exciting what that is about, as well as DNH, which is moving your world forward through technology. They have a little bit of experience. They've been in business for a little while, only about 140 years. So can't think of many other sponsors. In fact, all of our sponsors all stacked together probably don't equal that. They employ 5,500 people in, with supporting 8,000 clients in 70 countries. Their mortgage bot product is an all-in-one LOS that can do a lot for you, and I encourage you to check it out at dh.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592. Again, tremendous technology, a great technology team, and I encourage you to check them out. So let's get into um, what's going on uh, with some of the conferences. And This comes from the MBA, these MBA conferences. We have the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference, January 23rd through the 26th. Got an exciting presentation that I'll be doing there. I've been invited to be one of the moderators and speakers there. Very excited about that, as well as February 14th through the 17th, the National Mortgage Servicing Conference. And we also have the upcoming M&A Conference. I just realized I don't have those dates in here, but that's coming up, I think, in February as well. But we'll get those dates up there for you next week. While you're checking out the MBA conferences, be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance if you are not already signed up for that. Without further ado, we've got Guru Joe, Joe Farr explaining these markets. I'm looking at these, Joe, today, and we saw a big you know, drop in bond prices. Now they've rallied back to neutral. So you know, a lot of people are saying, yeah. why is this going on? So 
I wish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's very hard. I mean, there's not a logical explanation other than, you know, yields just got to a point where investors felt like they could come in and buy it at at, uh, an attractive yield. So, you know, we were expecting this today to be volatile, um, but didn't get the volatility you know, in the direction we thought. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the Italian referendum on the schedule for Sunday, uh, a no vote was expected to be was expected to create a little bit of a flight to safety, be right. tough on stocks and good on bonds. And this morning we opened uh, at par and fell to down five or six thirty seconds immediately, uh, the opposite direction of what I would have expected. Um, and then we fell a little further. Uh, somewhat as expected, once the uh, the data came out uh, this morning, the ISM Services Index came in a little stronger than expected, and and immediately fell from down five to down eight or nine thirty seconds. And mm-hmm. Dave, since then we've fully recovered. We're at or even where we began the uh, yeah. end of the day on Friday. So uh, it's that uh, recovery that's a little bit unusual. The uh, the. I guess the the Italian referendum maybe didn't wind up being as big an issue because it began be, began to be fairly well expected that the no votes would win, and so some of the surprise was taken out from what was being talked about earlier in the week. And uh, and you know the good yeah. ISM services number, you know, you would expect yes, it to have a negative effect on uh, on MBS prices, but uh, for some reason we've seen those recover, and we've seen. Yeah a number of favorable price changes midday. And that's a good transi- transition into last week because last yes. week was extremely volatile. We saw very large daily and intraday price swings, uh, kind of like today. Uh, favorable and unfavorable repricing was seen every day last week. On Wednesday and Thursday, both favorable and unfavorable were seen. And um, uh, for the week, just like again today, uh, there was a little net change. In fact, we ended the day only about two or three, two thirty seconds different from, uh, not the day, but the week, two thirty mm-hmm. seconds different from where we started. And uh, you know, kind of going through it chronologically, uh, it started Monday early in the week. Monday and Tuesday, MBS prices were up over half a point on concerns about the uh, the Italian referendum. Um, and uh, uh, and that was in spite of consumer confidence. It, was, it jumped to the highest level since 2007. Yeah. And during that, we still saw a, a big rally on the concerns. Uh, then it all turned around on Wednesday. Uh, OPEC announced a uh, cut in the production of oil. Oil prices shot higher. So did inflation concerns. And we lost that half a point on uh, on Wednesday. Um, Thursday was down another half a point um, on better than ISM manufacturing and construction spending, but after the reaction to that economic data, it ended the day down only uh, 7.30 seconds. Then the jobs numbers came out on Friday. The big news there was in the inf- it was in the wage inflation or the increase in wages. They uh, rose at a much slower pace, or sh- actually they fell in November from October. And just as the OPEC announcement had created inflationary concerns, that drop in wages uh, in the U.S. Uh, jobs numbers uh, had the opposite effect and, and uh, relieved some of that inflationary concern. For the day, we were up about a, a quarter of a point. So, again, a very volatile week and, and uh, lots of, of price changes. And, uh, you know, this week could probably continue to hold the same as we've seen today, although yeah. this week yeah. we don't have the kind of economic data that we had last week uh, or the the you know the overall news. We do have an ECB meeting this week, which is an important meeting. It's the one at which Mario Draghi is, has let people know uh, the market should hear what they expect to do regarding their quantitative easing program. Uh, they punted on that at the last meeting, saying we'll tell you what's going to happen in December. Right. Well, now's the time, and so the market's going to be expecting. The, the market expects to see here a six-month extension to their. Right now, it's equivalent to about an 85 billion a month quantitative easing program where they're buying assets. Uh, it's set to expire in March, 
and mm. the and the market expects a six month extension to that. Uh, they'll be looking for uh, information regarding QE after that. Maybe some are are thinking that we might see a QE uh, taper, like the U.S. did. Uh, and when will that begin? So, lots of uh, lots of data to come from the ECB, and that meeting is scheduled. Uh, when is that? It's uh, scheduled on Thursday. Yeah. yeah. The the announcement should come out sometime around 7.30 Eastern Time on Thursday of this week. And that's about it. I mean, there, uh, the other no, information I'm, is not very important. Yes. Yeah, that that meeting, it'll be interesting. Now, what, a couple of questions I had, and several East, uh, listeners wrote me asking, you know, what does Joe think about the tie between the Feds and the ECB? What, I mean, I, there we there seems to be a very tight relationship amongst all the central bankers across the, uh, the globe, but the ECB one is probably the one that has the greatest significance in how it, we react or how our markets react to it. Uh, is that an accurate statement, by the way, in your opinion? Sure. Sure it is. And, and uh, although each entity has said that they don't do one thing based on what the other's done, but the, the fact that, uh, you know, Europe is still in a in a quantitative easing mode when the U.S. is going to, uh, in all likelihood, raise rates and and take that next step in uh, in, in reducing the the easy monetary policy is uh, yeah that's that's going to happen. The U.S. is going to do that, and QE is going to be extended in in Europe. Um, you know, I, I think that with one going in one direction and the other going in the other, it mutes somewhat what uh, either side will do. But those actions are are very much expected in the market, and and uh, I do not expect that whatever the ECB does at their meeting is going to stop the Fed from raising interest rates at its meeting. Well, it's it's really interesting with you know, the impact that this could have. So we're we will um, we will be uh, paying close attention to your website. And for those that do not have your website, how are you monitoring your interest rate risk? And if you're not, you say, well, I don't manage interest rate risk. We lock on a best efforts basis, or we, I'm an originator, and I let my secondary marketing people know that. Well, you know what? Don't you think as a mortgage professional, as a top mortgage professional working with consumers, that you should have your thumb on what's going on and can anticipate where it's at? I think the best do. In fact, I know the best do, and best that I know are using MBS quote line. So if you want to learn how to get signed up, here you go. Listen to this message. We're going to be right back after this brief message. Thanks, Dave. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS quote line can eliminate these frustrations. MBS quote line monitors Fannie Mae Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to mbsquoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. And we are, let's see here, looking for Paul Malo. So good to see him dialed in, and I'm logged into his website here, IMF News. Also stands for Inside Mortgage Finance. Paul, good to have you with us, my friend. Appreciate you and the work you do on this website. Very informative. What's up, friend? What's up? What is up? Well, good question. It's Monday, and, uh, well, so let's start with the number two story first. Um, you know, shock shock of all shocks, Ben Carson has been nominated, or picked, I should say, uh, to uh, head HUD. Uh, yeah. You know, we've been hearing this for two weeks, and, and I guess the question becomes, well, you know, it's been out there. Why didn't he accept sooner? Uh, and there, there was lots of chatter that, you know, maybe he didn't really want it, or he really didn't want it, and he was holding out for something else. Um we haven't got much more insight on that, but you know, bottom line, he's got the nomination, or, or I should say pick, because someone pointed out to me 
He's not. You're not really nominated for a treasury post until Trump actually is sworn in and become, officially becomes right. president. So, but anyway, and now of course the next question is, you know, what's he going to do, uh, and who's going to uh, who uh, the president-elect Trump is going to pick to head FHA and Ginny May and and all those other key posts. Um, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> this one's a real shocker for me. I don't know. I mean, in the fact that. Someone with who's you know a neurosurgeon would would head HUD. Uh, it yeah. just seems you know a little odd. I mean, listen, there were a lot of experienced names thrown out there, including uh, Brian Montgomery, who's at the Collingwood Group, who used to be um, used to be at HUD, and Rick Lazio, former former congressman who's uh, held housing finance positions. Uh, you know, and a bunch of other good people. Um, uh, but who knows? You know, we'll see how these things go. The, the chatter though is that he's going to focus sort of on urban renewal projects. Uh, that he may not focus much on the lending programs. And the other question is, you know, as the HUD secretary, is he going to have a say or input on whether the Trump administration decides to cap the mortgage interest deduction? Uh, and so there's all, you know, all sorts of stuff to, to ponder at this point. So we'll see. Uh, we shall time. see, yeah. Yeah, we yep, shall yep. see. Uh, the, our data story today, lead data story, jumbo servicing we track uh, and survey the nation's uh, lenders for all sorts of data points. Jumbo servicing is one of them. Uh, that rose uh, to 10.2% over the past year. Jumbo market's been, you know, you know, steadily gaining traction, and it probably will continue to gain traction. Uh, HUD uh, has got some tweaks to its rules, and this one is sort of interesting. Uh, they've clarified requirements for FHA lenders before they can hire professional employer organizations to handle their human resource functions. I didn't know that till this came out. George Brooks wrote it. Uh, what does it mean? Bottom line, you know, you know, some lenders might be outsourcing their HR departments. We'll see. Uh, CISFIG, the um, which stands for the Structured Finance Industry Group, has published some new recommendations on loan level disclosures for ABS, um, and this is uh, you know notable because uh, a lot of these so-called marketplace lenders are also now in the mortgage finance business and have been gaining steam in the ABS market. SoFi is one of them, of course, and we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, the AEI slammed uh, NAR's uh, first-time homebuyer stats. George Brooks got into that story as well. Uh, anyone who's interested in you know, how you measure first-time homebuyers, there seems to uh, be a difference of opinion between the National Association of Realtors and Ed Pinto, who's there at the uh, American Enterprise Institute. This this little squabble's been going on for a while. We just put it out there today. Uh, again, we've reported on in the past. Uh, it's a little little strange, but uh, take a look at it, see what's out there. And in short takes, we discussed the uh, wild, uh, shall we say, roller coaster ride Fannie and Freddie Common stock's been on uh, <laughs> since uh, Steve Mnuchin, uh, yeah, opened his mouth last week about privatizing or cleaning up finally the GSEs. I should point out that Fannie's stock hit a, a 52-week high of uh, five bucks a share late last week. It's now been drifting down. It's at about three three dollars and seventy-five cents. You know, on a percentage basis, that's quite a drop. Uh, but keep in mind, this you know, I've had people tell me the common stock is near worthless, uh, and of course, the value, if there is any, is probably in the junior preferred. And of course, the Treasury Department owns the senior preferred, uh, and just goes to show you when people got money to speculate, they'll they'll buy anything. And uh, Fannie Freddie Common has been one of them. And, um, you know, a year ago, or over the past year, I should say, Fannie Freddie Common was trading for as low as 98 cents a share. So it hit five bucks a share last week after Mnuchin uh, talked about, you know, resolving the GSE conservatorships. And now it's sort of drifting back down to earth. And this is obviously a, a key topic for the industry, as well as a lot of people have been speculating in Fannie Freddie stock. So that's, uh, you know, all the good stuff, and it's all there on www.imfnews.com. Great website, great information. I tell you, it's uh, excellent for just overall what's happening in the marketplace and great comment. And, and you know, I really appreciate in which, the way in which you, George, Brandon, and the team really uh, write your stories. You keep as much bias out, as much facts as, as possible. But always good stuff, great website, great resource for the industry. Encourage people to sign up for it. If you're not listeners, signed up to receive this email. It comes daily into your inbox. Do so now. It's real easy to do. Just go into imfnews.com, and you then enter your email address. You'll see the sign-up sheet at the bottom of the website. Great place to go. Sign up and get 
the latest, the greatest information coming into you. So thanks, Paul. Really appreciate it. Good to have you here with Thank us. Thank you, David. And it's always fun. Pleasure to greet yourself. Is it? Have you got snow up there on the ground? I mean, you watched the uh, the the Green Bay <laughs> no, game, and I'm going. No, we're watching DC, David. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Snow? <laughs> Not, Not in Washington, DC. We don't even have it up in Pennsylvania, where the ski resorts are, 90 minutes yeah. away here yet. So you know, I'm waiting for ski season. Uh, so yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It was, well, yeah, it's, yeah, we had a 70 degree weather last week. Tell me about it. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, forget that. Yeah, don't let touch. Have to get yeah. back up there. But anyway, thanks so much we'll for tuning in. Snow. We'll get snow when Ben Carson becomes HUD secretary. Oh wait a sec, he is HUD secretary. <laughs> 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 we'll it's funny. Yeah, good around. stuff. I appreciate it, Fred. Talk to you soon. Have a good All rest right. of the Take week. Care. Thanks. You too. Bad. Bad. All right, so now what we're going to do is we're going to head on over to Alice Alvey, but we're going to get in a word from Simplifile, so stay tuned for right for this quick word from you, Simplifile. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Oh, yeah, it helps when you turn on the microphone here. We're playing with a new board and trying to get it all synchronized and working. Alice, so good to have you dialed in and working with us. We missed you last week. We uh, always hearing your cheerful voice. And if you're going to get updates on what's happening with regulatory issues and announcements and compliance stuff, it's always nice when it's delivered with a cheerful voice. So what do you have for us today? Oh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, well, last week would have been the announcement. I'm sure you all talked about the increase in the Fannie loan limits, which, of course, means increases to FHA and VA. So that was that was the good news last week that I wasn't around to deliver, so I'm sure that came out somewhere along the line. Um, but what I, I want to make sure everyone's aware of today is the CFPB did issue an advisory bulletin on November 28th. It was titled Detecting and Preventing Consumer Harm from Production Incentives. And in looking at this, what's interesting is, you know, it's not just talking about salespeople. It's really talking about any type of incentive that might be influencing a consumer to purchase additional products is the first focus of it. So certainly they're talking about, you know, when you're trying to sell a credit card at the same time you're selling a mortgage or you're getting them to open up deposit accounts. So definitely a lot of focus here for some of the larger players that have had those practices. Um, But, of course, everything with the CFPB has a lot of also's and however's in there and what I want to make sure everyone's paying attention to is you have to make sure the incentive program you have for all your team members whether it's sales processing incentives for closing a certain amount of number of loans on time all those incentives are looked at as part of your compliance management system so this bulletin gets into describing the components of a CMS which is a little more detailed than some of the other publications the CFPB has had out there, but definitely, again, worth reading and double-checking that you have an actual corporate-level CMS policy. Of course, you have all your other policies and procedures that go with that, so your compliance management system, go back and double-check that you've got a component that that visits, monitors, and checks the impact of various incentives that um, the, you may be offering to your employees. Um, so that's what I pulled out of that compliance bulletin. I want to make sure everybody else is double-checking those things. Secondly, one of the other good things is we're watching the Day One Certainty Program from Fannie Mae's um, you know, uh, income validation process that's now giving lenders relief on reps and warranties. It does look like the early indications so far that it is going to save lenders a lot of time. Um, certainly, we've got a product, our Income Genius product. It's going to be, um, we're looking at working with lenders going forward so they can get their self-employed borrower certification to be a part of that. Um, so right now, it just accommodates your W-2 borrowers, but definitely want to check into that, sign up for it, because lenders and uh, banks of all sizes are definitely finding some advantages within that product. Um, the last thing I want to make sure is you know, everybody heard about is the Allied Home Mortgage, you know, CEO is ordered to pay the $92 million for the mortgage fraud against FHA. 
So this case has been going on since 2011, various mm-hmm. milestones. We've certainly reported to all of you on this on this show over the last few years. I think what you want to make sure that you recognize the couple components in here are about the branch approvals and making sure if you've got a branch, tell FHA. Bottom line, uh, there are folks who try and defend that, well, I don't have to have this one listed or I do have to have this one. If you've got FHA activity, they want to know about it and trying to take any shortcuts is going to put you under a microscope. Um, The other key component I take out of here operationally is your QC. When you have a QC provider or a QC department that tells you you're doing something wrong, I'm telling you, Dave, the rebuttal process has become insane for us, (laughs) for QC providers. And that's not just our company. We talk to our fellow providers out there, and every lender wants to get to zero errors. And in that process, you've got to be careful that you didn't now just circumvent or what HUD might interpret or any investor might interpret as falsifying your QC results. Mm. So um, we're trying to so, really hold a bright line on certain issues that we know this is what FHA or Fannie or Freddie requires. Um, but for those of you who are constantly pushing back on your QC providers, uh, I'm going to put your QC, all the QC vendors out there in a good light that we're offering you a service to make change and for the better for your company. <laughs> for so are you suggesting? All are, up to be because they can get you in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, Alice, are you, leave that parting thought. If you have any questions about yep. the specifics, we're happy to help you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Alice, let's see, I need to turn on my other mic. Alice, one of the things I have is a question. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. Okay, good, good, good. Um, one of the things I want to question that I question, wonder about is is uh, th- when you say they're driving to too close. In other words, zero defects. In other words, we don't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with us. Are you saying that that is um, th- that's that's a glare that there should you should reflect some errors and then you should show what you're doing and proactively to fix and address those errors. Is that correct? Well, yeah, so I want to clarify, you know, there is, I have run into one shop, the occasional shop that does absolutely do everything right, but they didn't get there through getting things waived and trying to backtrack on documentation through a rebuttal process, right? right. So there are different ways to get to zero defects, and that's the thing I think lenders need to take a good hard look at is as you're going through this rebuttal process on all of your loans, that your rebuttals are true, legitimate, you can cite places in a regulation that say that you are correct versus whoever conducted the QC. And this could be internal or external. Um, but in that rebuttal process, you're using citings and you're using fact and not just impression or um, everybody does it kind of approach. Oh, yeah. uh, so those are the things lenders need to be careful of. And well, we won't get into specifics here on the show, but I, I'm happy to help folks with some specifics, you know, when you say, hey, yeah, I'm always I, in argument with my QC provider on this one, and um, we're happy to help. That's a great point. I think it's important that you, you get in and get a hold of you and get your advice on that. So if you want to learn how, stay tuned for this message. Al, appreciate you bringing an update. Always good information. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network.
Well, hello, everyone. Um, Dave, we aren't able to hear you, so hopefully you can get back on the show here quickly. Hey, well, I'm here, Alice. Uh, This is Sam Garcia. Can you hear me? Hi, Sam. Yes, I can. So let's go ahead and, Sam, give us your report. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, great, great. I'm sure Dave will pop up pretty soon. But I wanted to provide a few more details about the employment report that Joe mentioned. And um, in last week's employment report, the Bureau of Labor Statistics indicated that there were 318,200 non-bank mortgage jobs. Um, mortgage employment has expanded every month since February, so uh, it's been on quite a uh, steep incline. And um, based on our analysis of the mortgage employment report and also using some data we have on market share, we estimate that there are about 670,000 people working in the mortgage industry, including jobs at financial institutions, whereas the, you know, the BLS numbers are just non-bank mortgage jobs. And that estimate that we came up with includes about 292,000 people that have mortgage jobs at banks, about 60,000 uh, jobs at credit unions, and then the 318,000 that the BLS reported. And um, even though you know mortgage staffing has been expanding for each of the last eight months, it's likely we're going to begin to see some you know decline over the next few months um, because lenders are going to basically be cutting their staffs in response to a sharp decline in refinances. So that's what we're looking at uh, as you know we had a pretty good employment situation for the last couple of years. Um, that's going to reverse. Um, kind of added some support to that was Freddie Mac last week um, and their economic forecast. They uh, took their refinance uh, projection for next year and slashed it to uh, by uh, to 421 billion from 594 billion that Freddie had estimated the prior month. That's a pretty big drop. Gosh, 170 billion less that they expect just because rates went up, you know, recently. Over at um, as far as agency issuance goes, we got a report in from uh, some data from EMBS, and that indicates that fixed-rate agency MBS issuance came in around $133 billion in November. Um, that was the slowest month since July, of course, again, reflecting lower refinance activity. Um, and, you know, it was Fannie Mae that actually drove last month's, you know, drop um, issuance tumbled 26% from October to less than $47 billion. Um, over, uh, we, did our, we put out our mortgage market index, and that was up 21% last week from the week before, which included Thanksgiving. And since we don't apply seasonal adjustments, the increase was really no big deal, given that it came off of Thanksgiving. Um, we, we, of course, based that uh, index off of block volume over at open close. And one interesting aspect of the latest report, which kind of is counters uh, everything I just said about refinances is that there was a 44% week over week surge in refinances. And I've dug through the data and talked to open close and we just can't come up with any reason why after rates spiked, you know, several weeks ago, uh, there would be any increase in refinances. But uh, if I do, I'll mention it in the next one. Yeah. Let us know. That's contrary to what everyone's thinking. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And and then you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the loan limits, and last week FHA uh, moved their floor limit for 2017 to 275665 from this year's limit, which was 271050 The high cost limit uh, is 636150 and of course FHA limits are based on conforming limits, which FHA, FA, like we mentioned in last week's report, raised uh, on November 23rd. But in the FHA uh, announcement last week, they said um, that 2,948 U.S. counties saw increased limits for FHA loans. So, um, and also um, to add add to your comments about Allied, um, you know, Allied something worth uh, you know, remembering uh, because um, they used to be one of the biggest net branch operators out there, and of course, uh, FH or the Department of Justice said there were about a hundred. Sh- of the shadow branches that weren't approved that were originating loans. But um, it's funny how the, the net branch model used to be a, a big deal in the country and regulators really came down on it and you saw these people, uh, these companies abandon that model and basically go to more of a uh, traditional mortgage banking model. Um, but, um, you know, Allied, of course, it went out of, uh, it stopped doing originations back in 2011 when it lost its FHA approval, which of course sparked 
this lawsuit and uh, one that Allied filed back against FHA, and that was dismissed. But uh, they're they're just something. It was funny hmm. how they were at the top of the news for so long, and um, they just don't exist anymore. So I guess there's right. a few companies we've seen that. Yeah. Happen. Right, thanks, well, welcome back, Dave. I, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Alice for jumping in there. Don't know what happened. Just disappeared on my end. So thank God we have the old phone system as a backup. But Sam, I heard everything you had to say. Thank you so much. Great information. And Alice, thank you for always being ready to jump in there and work with the program. So technology shows up. So after that brief, uh, after that word with Sam, and by the way, for those of you that are not signed up, check out Sam's website at mortgagedaily.com or you'll get a hold of Sam at 214-521-1300. Great guy to know. A lot of great information on this website. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break, and I want to switch over and um, I really want to look at what's going on at ArchMI. Jim Jump has been talking to us about the ArchMI application and their specifically their RateStar application, and I'm hearing some more and more testimonies about how effective it is and at what it's doing as far as reducing costs. And as interest rates rise, this is a very effective solution in helping you keep your borrower costs low and help you be competitive in the marketplace. So with that, Jim Jump, take it away. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to ArchMI's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. And I appreciate it so much. Uh, looking at this app in every way which we can save money, helping your borrowers, check it out, folks. Very important, and we appreciate ArchMI being a sponsor. Also, I'm sure you heard the news how they're acquiring and merging together United Mortgage Guarantee. So a lot of activity going on out there in the M&A world. Speaking of uh, things that are going on out there in the world, we have the Profit Doctor with us. And always fun to have you here, Andy, giving us an update on what's going on. And uh, also, again, thanks for, uh, <laughs> you know, when something happens here, Andy, as for many of you know, has been, he has daughters that perform, so he has sat for years behind boards and is a technology savvy when it comes to all these sound boards and technologies that I'm getting used to. But Andy, uh, good to have you with us, my friend. And what do you have for our listeners today? Thanks, Dave. It's always fun to be on Licking on Lending. And, yeah, I actually was the only non-union certified soundboard operator for about a 4,000-seat big multimillion-dollar auditorium. So I, at one point, went went really deep into the area. Uh, Well, first first on my mind, I was listening to Alice, and her point about uh, the impact on incentives as part of your CMS policy, that was really interesting, and the point about just of your QC rebuttal is another really interesting point because you, know, you hear people trying to force a uh, you know a horse to a transom trying to make an argument about uh, this shouldn't be a, an exception but you know, that actually can backfire on you. A great point. It's always fun to hear Alice's thoughts. Um, well, Dave, I have a you know today we have Brent Imler from Velma on the show and in thinking about. Uh, Brent, you know that that kind of reminded me of one of my one of my one of my key points I like to address, and that's in communicating, speaking to the listeners in a way they want to be spoken to. It's kind of like the platinum rule, as as opposed to mm-hmm. the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you want to be done unto, and you know I I think that there's a step beyond that. The platinum rule, which is what I like to follow, is do unto others as they want to be 
done unto. So speak to people the way they want to be uh, spoken to. Yeah. Let, let them hear what they need to hear to be effective. In fact, there was a, a salesperson recently trying to sell me something for the house, and uh, he I gave him several points about things I wanted to do and the way I wanted to do it, and he continued to sell me on his way of selling as opposed to responding to me in the way I mm. wanted to be responded to. And I know, Dave, you, you teach this stuff. You know this stuff so well. But uh, he lost the sale because it's like, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with this guy. He's, he's too much trouble. He doesn't listen. Doesn't listen. And that's part of communication. Exactly. You've got to listen. And that's the point that's so cool about Velma is they make it so that you can listen. You can make it so that you speak to people in a way that they want to be spoken to, and that's so important. Great point. You know, I, At some point. I speak to CEOs, LOs, CEOs. you got to got to measure your message so that they hear what you're saying. Well, and a message that you're putting out there with a lot of people is, for example, uh, is, is people's finances. And a lot of people don't want to hear a lot of different messages out there. And that's why I believe that it's so important that, for example, one of your favorite statements around the 10th of the month is, it's the 10th of the month. Do you know where your financial starts? It's like, do you know where you're at 10 o'clock at night? Do you know where your kids are at? And a lot of people just don't want to hear things. And it's really interesting, especially when you get into communications. Uh, there's two aspects of a communication. That which your people, your management, whether it be your CFO, uh, whomever it is trying to tell you, or and those that are listening. So that listening component, it's really interesting you tell that story because I heard one person, one of my favorite preachers, say more sales have been ruined by the same instrument that Samson killed a thousand Philistines and it's with the jawbone of an ass. And sometimes we just don't know what it's out of. And I thought that was great, you know. Uh, more sales have been killed with that same instrument. So anyway, Andy, thanks for the wisdom on that and um, appreciate you being a part of this podcast since the beginning, and it's so good. You, Alice, Joe, all of you, and just it's really excellent. Um, any webinars coming up that are that you want to make us aware of that you're part of? Um, well, we're having an exciting presentation next week to a bunch of CPAs on hedging, and then coming up in February, we are launching again the accounting series through the MBA, mm -hmm. and then in July on into servicing. But the next big one open to the public is the February event on. Learn about accounting for mortgage transactions. Learn about hedging when someone says something like, well, the open short benefit is offset by the long position decline, so don't be distracted by covered short gains. You go, wait, <laughs> what? And you, what? you go, wait, 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 no. You know, you know, hedge, the hedge and the loans move in opposite directions but in the same amount to protect profits. Yeah. That's what that means. So it's about That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah, really that's what that means. That's what that means. Well, that's very good stuff. I appreciate it so much, Andy. And if those of you, for, the, for those of you who want to reach Andy, email him at andy at mbs-team.com, right? Best way yes, to go sir. to the website. Got it. Go to the same right. website, mbs-team.com. Very good. Excellent. Well, we also have Motivity as one of our sponsors. We're always interested in hearing what they have to say. They have a KPI of the Week, Key Performance Indicator. And they're going to talk today about average resubmits. Interesting. Resubmits? Does that actually go on? Well, let's hear about it and how you can measure it. Thank you, David, very much. Great to be here, as always. And this week, we have another underwriting-focused Key Performance Indicator. And the KPI is Average Resubmits Per File. This single measurement can not only help lenders develop consistency in underwriting and optimize departmental processes, it can also guide business users to examine contributing tasks in processing that affect this number. KPIs in practice, and you might say by definition, are constantly on display and updated in near real time, making it much easier to pinpoint however many friction points may be combining to produce a given effect, like number of resubmissions, which can also vary by product type, another aspect that the KPI can uncover, demonstrating once again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. That is so true. What gets measured gets results. And one area, so if you want to get results, get a hold of Motivity Solutions. They can help you with your KPIs. They have a standard set of KPIs. I encourage you to check it out. That was John Maynil, Vice President of Client Services. Also, call them at 303-721-9000. Without further ado, 
Let's get Brent Emler on the phone. Brent is the director of sales and marketing at Velma. He's a close friend, someone I've been had the privilege of working with for a good number of years. And uh, we're just honored and blessed to have you on the phone call, my friend. Well, thank you, Dave. Great well, job today. Well, thank you. It's always fun. Yeah. Uh, it's fun working with technology. And like Andy says, Dave, you should just buy an old box of technology and just stick with it. You're always testing new stuff. Well, yeah. You know what? It's because you're always trying to prove it. I think those that are trying to, he doesn't. He's he always applauds that. I'm not suggesting that Andy thinks that we should stay with the old stuff. He's pushing for the new as well. But sometimes I push beyond the envelope. But a lot of people that are they're not using tools that are out there, and one of them is CRM software. So I'm really excited to get you on. And talk about that. So uh, it's good to have you back, and let's get into it. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed, there has a lot has changed in the area of CRMs, or has it? Is it just my imagination? Talk about it. No, you know, things have, things have changed both from a technology standpoint, um, from a prioritization standpoint, um, an adoption standpoint, really all around CRM. There have been a lot of changes. Um, and I would say just a few years ago, uh, maybe half of the prospects that I talked to, Dave, they didn't even have a CRM, which is kind of amazing to think about it. Uh, but today, wow. in the, yeah, in the last year, I would say, I, I can't think of a single company that doesn't have CRM. But, but more recently, what, what lenders are looking for is a deeper dive into that loan officer experience, uh, as well as, as maybe more importantly, the consumer experience. Well, hey Brent, this is Joe. Yeah, it's good. Come uh, on in, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to. What do you mean by that? A little, uh, a deeper dive into the loan officer and consumer consumer experience. So, when CRMs really started coming into the the mortgage space, the the idea was let's buy the CRM with the the flashiest CRM, the one with the most features, and the the idea there was let's pile on the features. And, and surely the LOs are going to find something they like. Um, and as with any sales organization, the idea of, of improving the bottom-level sales folks by even a, just a small amount can have a profound effect on top-line revenue. So, you know, I think lenders were looking at CRM as this panacea um, in terms of bringing up the, the bottom of the sales organization. Well, and why is it why the renewed interest in this? Well, you know, as I, I, I kind of mentioned that when lenders went into CRM originally, I think they sort of went in blind and they, they bought these products that had a lot of features, kind of expecting that they would uh, take care of themselves, they would sell themselves internally within the organization, and then some, some compliance trade came along, some other things came along that took things took the focus away from that loan officer experience, the consumer experience. And of course, compliance is always going to be a huge part of running a mortgage company. But now, I think executives are looking for ways to uh, improve and uh, the the customer relationship management part of their business. So, hi Brent, this is Alice. It sounds like it's a good time to be a CRM vendor, then. Yeah, you know, there are definitely legacy challenges um, it, as far as being a CRM vendors and, and customers companies. Uh, they're somewhat leery think of CRM, there's a general perception that CRM hasn't delivered on its promises. Um, I think there's anxiety. There's anxiety around the spend um, and adoption and all the rest. Uh, but on the flip side, as a vendor, I, I, I really, I've never seen so much excitement. There's a lot of opportunity. Technology is just growing like crazy. Um, there's a lot of great ideas in our space, both here at Velma and, and all of our competitors. There's a lot of, of really great ideas out there. So I think the future of CRM looks really bright, but I think more importantly, um, it's, it looks really bright for mortgage lenders who choose CRM partners wisely um, and, then, and then implement properly. I think that's a really key component. Well, I would agree on the implement properly because uh, I have lots of friends who are in sales in various industries, and anytime you introduce the CRM, a lot of salespeople just view it as more work, and they don't necessarily see the opportunity. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to hear about the challenges um, you know, CRM and mortgage companies have working together. What are the legacy challenges in your mind as you, uh, you, know, as you try and move forward? 
Well, I, I, I do really believe that it's been a, a confluence of, of things. It's the CRM vendors um, not, not selling the product properly, um, it, not, not uh, implementing, it, implementing it properly. I think that the CRMs um, have been historically purchased poorly. Um, not getting buy-in from from key stakeholders. There's a variety of things you can you can do to make sure that whatever you're buying is aligned with your company objectives, and and really understanding what those company objectives are. And that's what I mean about the uh, selling the product poorly. It's it's incumbent upon us as CRM vendors to really understand the organization and dig in there and um, and make sure that we're providing a product that's going to deliver value. So they've spent these lenders have spent a lot of money uh, on the CRMs, they're, and they're not seeing uh, what they perceive as a return on investment from the implementation. Um, and, and you know, Alice, even when there is a significant return on investment, there's this perception that the the ROI is not there because the loan officers aren't necessarily doing what the executives expected them to do, or they're not able to measure whether or not it's all anecdotal. Um, in terms of the adoption and the value that the organization is getting from this, you know, relatively big spend. Um, so, if loan officers not are not technically adopting the product in, in terms of the executive's uh, perspective, then now the CRM has been a failure. Uh, but you've got to have CRM right to be competitive, and so. Uh, now you're on looking for the next CRM or looking for the next product to replace the previous one because the last one didn't go well. And it might not be the product's problem, right? It might not be the, the fact that the CRM isn't the right CRM. It just may not have been uh, sold, uh, purchased, or implemented properly. Well, Brand, this is Andy. You're, you're, you're singing my song, just like with Alice. It's all about implementation, and it's about user buy-in and user benefit and user training and all that. So, but But – but taking a step back, just like take big picture here about about CRM technology generally, and mm-hmm. looking at the adoption rate or buy-in. And so, is the adoption problem unique to the mortgage industry? It's it's not. It's not. Yeah, I was I was talking to a gentleman. He's a vendor. Uh, works with Salesforce, and and so he works with you know dozens of different industries. Um, and he's done over a thousand implementations, and he's he's done measurements on adoption, and just just uh, you know forgetting the fact that we're talking about mortgage adoption of CRM technology, it, you know 20% um, is is about where um, the the averages are, um, and and now that's when we talk about adoption, we talk about the traditional sense of all, you know, the loan officer completely or the salesperson completely buying in and and spending um, all of their day within that CRM. If we talk about adoption in terms of getting some measure of value out of the CRM, uh, that number certainly is going to be higher. So then, so then if we really want to have a higher adoption rate, we got to figure out a path to get through there. So um, we know it's not just mortgage. We know it's all industries, and maybe it's all sales groups. So, are you, our loan officers, our mortgage originators, uniquely unwilling to adopt a CRM? Is there something special about mortgage? No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, despite the some of the some of the things you hear about loan officers, you know, they they do have, um, you know, they they've got a tough job. It's it, it is a tough job. Uh, to sell mortgage it, sales in general, as we all know, is is a tough job, and and it's um, you know the problem really isn't the loan officers being unwilling to do the work in the CRM because it's too hard or too much work. It's it's really about the CRM and the implementation and the training um, and everything that goes into uh, a successful CRM implementation. Um, so it's got to it's got to del- deliver real perceived value for the loan officer. And so if, if if I'm a salesperson and it's just another way to bog down my day um, and keep me from selling, I'm not going to use it, right? You bet. Well, it's like the, like last week talking about you could do uh, CRM updates just by sending a, a voice text to the, the group. I mean, that's one way to making possibly CRMs more 
more adoption friendly. So, but what what other reasons are there? What I mean, obviously we need to, as management, we want to track progress, we want to track results. As salespeople, we want to remember who do we need to call next, and mm-hmm. what did they say the last time we called them? So. Are, are there other reasons why we're having a challenge with these customer relationship management systems being adopted? Yeah, you know, it it, it goes back to, and, and I'll keep harping on this, it goes back to, you know, a poorly sold, uh, poorly purchased, and poorly implemented uh, solution. And and if you're going if you're going to ask a loan officer to completely change their behavior. You know, if they've been if they've been getting into the LOS and adding their contacts to the LOS uh, to start a, a relationship, um, and they've been doing that for a decade, you're you're trying to change some pretty significant uh, behavior. Uh, and so, if you're going to ask the loaners to right, change right. that behavior, it, it's going to have you're going to have to really deliver extraordinary value. Okay, so then in in defining this extraordinary value can can you go into that a little bit deeper so we can really get a perspective on what this what this implementation strategy is yeah absolutely so if you if you ask me as a salesperson to remember another username another password i'm going to log in you want me to add my contacts instead of doing the, all of that activity like i've always done in the los or the pricing engine uh, then the CRM's got to actually do work for me. It, it can't just yeah. be this rep- repository where I put information and it helps all the executives, and it's not it's not providing me value. So yeah, you, it's got to have automated workflows, sales acceleration, marketing automation, proposal creation, something really fantastic. And it's really up to the vendors and the the mortgage lenders to determine what what is the reason we're buying this product? What are we trying to accomplish with this purchase? Um, and making sure that the product aligns with those objectives and then implementing to that, uh, that objective. So Brent, this is Joe again. Uh, isn't, aren't those uh, capabilities consistent among all CRMs? Uh, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. I, I mean, I, um, you know, it's 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 easy as a CRM vendor to kind of get in this features arm, arms race and and want to uh, and, and want to say, yeah, we've got that feature too. Yeah, we've got that feature too. Um, and, and because you get into that sales position and and you don't want to lose a sale because of a of a feature, uh, but it really can't be about feature to feature comparison. It has to be fundamentally what does this particular product do? Not all CRMs are the same, right? Some are really amazing with marketing automation. Some are really great at at co-branding and developing open house uh, products and and things like that. Some are great at sales acceleration. So you really have to understand what your organization is trying to accomplish and align align your purchase with with those objectives. Um, So, you know, some some CRMs, the the value can be delivered without loan officers ever logging in. I mean, that's, that's part of what we... Uh, espouse here is that we recognize that um, sometimes loan officers just don't want to do marketing automation. They don't. They just want it to happen. They don't want to actually do the work. And so, doing deep integrations with the LOS, that kind of thing, not requiring uh, loan officers getting, logging in, uh, can be a really effective way to uh, to have a good relationship. Hmm. All right. So, um, what other challenges are you seeing? Uh, I, I'd say executive buy-in. You know, uh, the executives. I think um, what what I've seen is is that uh, you know they're writing a, a good sized check to the CRM vendor, and they're sort of saying, well, you know, good luck with the uh, <laughs> the implementation of the product, and it just doesn't work that way. You have to have buy-in from uh, you know from everybody in the organization, the department heads, the executives, the sales leaders. Um, get you know get some of those uh, top producers to to really champion this uh, the purchase, um, and you can re- you can achieve some tremendous results together. So, what should companies expect from a su- successful CRM implementation? Uh, companies should should expect more sales. I mean, at the bottom line is you should expect more sales, and you should expect your CRM vendor to demonstrate that they are delivering more sales to your organization. If, if they're not demonstrating you know, more sales, 
then it's it's not winning. And uh, you know, just getting loan, loan officers to log in and use features, it's that's not winning. What's winning is is more sales, uh, more you know, brand awareness and 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 all the rest. So measuring uh, measuring success based on more sales is is really the way to go. So getting users to log into the system and use it is not necessarily success measuring that makes sense. So um, tell us a little bit more about what you would use to measure those, uh, develop those success metrics. Yeah, good example. A good example is, uh, is what we call retention loans. So how many of your clients are coming back uh, and doing business with your organization again? Uh, and, and providing uh, clients, uh, executives with really detailed analysis of not only the, the marketing uh, output, what's being sent, what's being opened, when it's being sent, who's opening it, what's successful, what's not, but then really looking at the data and saying how many of these clients are receiving marketing material, they're doing one loan, they're receiving marketing material over time, and then they're doing another loan. Or um, what is our pull-through rate before we started with our marketing automation, our CRM platform, and now what is our pull-through rate? Um, so really measuring uh, based on, on sales success is, is uh, what we've seen uh, valuable for our customers. You know, that that's always important, right, that you be able to measure uh, how you de- determine what's success. Um, so, Brent, what, what's, on the, what's in the future for uh, CRMs, and, and what are you most excited about? Uh, you know, I think that the number one thing I'm most excited about is is integrations, and historically, integrations have have meant uh, data integration. You know, passing uh, data from the LOS to the CRM, uh, you know, bidirectional or, or whatever the case may be, um, and that's that's great. And and kind of everybody is doing that these days to certain degrees. Uh, but but I'm talking about deep integrations. I'm talking about integrations where. Uh, you have multi-system integrations uh, where you can take advantage of. Uh, one example is uh, last year we were able to integrate the, uh, I think you guys know about Mortgage Coach, and we were able to integrate that solution right into our UI. Um, and I'll, I don't mean to plug what we're doing, but uh, the point is we didn't have to create a presentation there. You know, we, we went to, to the best in breed for presentations and said, Mortgage Coach, would you guys be interested in, in integrating your product right into the Velma UI? Now, loan officers don't have to have two different systems. It's one system to get uh, best of breed of, of multiple vendors. So that really deep, rich integration. I know a lot of uh, CRM vendors out there are doing some great things with that as well. So. We're certainly not the only ones doing that, but that's that's probably the most exciting thing. And you know, you you look at uh, things like machine learning uh, and behavioral marketing; um, those those are pretty exciting things as well. Machine learning. When you, I'm hearing more about this. I heard about this at the Alight conference. Would for those that are not familiar with machine learning, what is that? As well as behavioral marketing. That's that's very fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So machine learning, uh, a good example of that, Dave, is uh, what Netflix does. Real, real simple example. So when you go log into Netflix and uh, you've got these lines and it says, because you watched To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm going to date myself here. Um, you should. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, you, you should also, also watch Cool Hand Luke, right? Uh, yeah. so, so they're giving you these recommendations, and these recommendations are they're, it's based on the the behavior of millions and millions of Netflix subscribers, right? So um, right. The, the the behavior of, of of Netflix subscribers is if you watch this one movie, you're probably going to watch this other movie. So um, that's that's what machine learning is at, uh, fundamentally. Uh, so you know, in terms of something that a uh, marketing platform could do a, a marketing platform could mine through you know millions and millions of emails and the open rates and the the spams and the bounces and all the rest uh, and identify email subject lines that would be really really ideal for uh, a particular marketing piece and and then make recommendations because you're sending an FHA refinance email uh, we recommend that you use the one of the following three or four subject lines. It really, it really allows uh, machines to help make determinations of, um, you know, best options. That's really interesting. I mean, so 
machines really can come in and start helping you. Talk a little bit more about behavioral. I'm working on it, but give me a give me more insights into the behavioral component of it. So behavioral marketing, you know the the um, uh, the Shangri La of marketing, Dave, as you know, Shangri La is uh, is having that one to one communication. Right. So you know we've we've talked a lot about uh, customer or database segmentation. So being able to you know at ten years ago we started doing this, right? Everybody started doing this. You separate your clients from your filters and your your marketing material, your marketing messages. Are, uh, are tailored right. to those specific groups, uh, and then we started to get even better, you know, better and better and better every every year with our segmentation and behavioral marketing is really designed to understand who that consumer of the marketing material is, and tailor the marketing material based on the data very specifically to them, um, and then based on their consumption of that marketing material, change your cadence, change the types of pieces you send, mm-hmm. um, and you can do all of that with uh with automation fascinating there's so much Listen information here. Customer. <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's how about that i mean the novel concept there profit doctor well we're out of time here it's been so good to help uh, so how can people get a hold of you best way to get a hold of you uh well me personally dave just uh just email me at brent b-r-e-n-t at velma v-e-l-m-a dot com and if you'd like to check us out, just go to our website, Velma, that's V-E-L-M-A.com. Not only that, when you get into the conversation with Brent, he will share with you lots of other information. So just get on the phone with him, talk to him. Tremendous resource to helping you in every aspect of your marketing operation. Brent, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Can't believe we're past the 1 o'clock hour here in Central Texas, which means we're past the overtime, but it's worth it. Excellent stuff. Folks, next week we've got Ron Weinberg be joining us, talking about mortgage coaching. He is the national – he's actually the uh, executive director and head coach for the National Mortgage Professional U uh, University. So it's MP. NMPU is the, the, what he does in sales training, coaching, and uh, we're going to be hearing from him, get his idea, and he's going to be talking about how to cost-effectively lead your team to increase production. Great stuff. Brent, Joe, Andy, Alice, all y'all, as they say here in Texas, thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to having everyone back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.